Beginning Transmission 97, Watchmen, Part 3, Issues 7 through 9. Filander, who watches the Watchmen. This week's episode of the Funny Books and Firewater Podcast. Ignorance.
all these kids' parents like wrote in and said, oh, it's inappropriate for kids to be reading this at a Christian school, blah, blah, blah this and that. Mm-hmm. And then our first day of math teacher is like, out of curiosity, who here went and saw Titanic? Yeah. Like, every single kid but me raised their hand because I just didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, well, thank you. Like, fucking asshole parents. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really good book. And like, it, I didn't, but they're like, oh, no, it's Christmas break. We want to do homework. I'm like, it's I'm fun to think of what you would censor out of that, unless it's like every mention of alcohol. They say, like, damn Helen Baster a couple times. Like, it's, it's nothing that sure, bad. Yeah, they yeah, want us to go through and block out any, like, bad words. Like, it's a PG book. Oh, yeah, easily. Easily. That's pretty darn good. It is a good book. Getting on the banned book list isn't that hard, but even, like, Huck Finn has been hit the banned book list because it says naughty words. Um, do you remember uh, my buddy Quasi? Yes. Um, he had a copy of it, like, an old copy of it, where they'd replaced... The, like they replaced words with it, so you still knew what it was, but they replaced like one word, like I think it was shit with like truck, and the N word with like dumpster or something. It was really weird. Like like you could read it, you still knew what was being said, but they just had changed the words. So you substitute it in your head. It was very bizarre. Well, I don't know why they had done it, but there was this weird edition he had of it. Anyway, you know. Um, and hey, I'm Brian. I'm a sound designer based in Southern California. Last night in the middle of the night, because I've been working nights and I'm staying up all night, I finally signed my contract for Lyric. So I will be back at Lyric this summer doing four shows for them. Um, I yeah, I sat next most... to your boss last night. You did? What were you at last night? I was curious. Uh, Salt Lake Acting Company's Here oh, okay. is what it was called. They were her? Yeah, H-I-R. Did, did, uh, did she work on it? No, no. She was just, I think it was opening night or something. Okay, yeah, because sometimes uh, she'll go do like vocal coaching for stuff. Like she's one of the she's a, a pretty well-renowned expert as far as vocal coaching goes. So she goes a lot, round does a lot of stuff that way. So I'm just curious if she happened to be there. Uh, for I have that no as well. idea if she did or not. But she and her husband were there, and I looked at her. I'm like, "You're Adrian Moore," and she, well, she glanced at me like, "I know your face. I have no idea uh-huh. who you are." I'm like, "I get that yeah. a lot. I'm friends with Brian." And she's like, "The lobby of the Monaco, yep. and at the 50th yep. anniversary." I'm like, yep. "Yes, <laughs> yeah." But she was lovely. Yeah, Adrian's very cool. I was just reminded of that. I promised I want to come up to Lyric this summer. I have to bring the ingredients for a uh, corpse reviver because I promised to make her a good corpse reviver. So because I after during after rehearsals one night, I went and hung out with her and her husband and her daughter, just like sitting around drinking beers, which is still so weird for me to like have a beer with a professor. Like it's just very strange for me. I don't know why. Because it'd be totally odd for me too. Yeah, it's like you still view them as like an adult and a parental figure kind of thing. And then, you know, it's just very weird. But I had an ex-girlfriend who like once she went home from uh, her first year of school, her parents were like, well, you're uh, you're an adult now. So uh, here's what th- here's the deal. Your dad and I smoke a lot of pot. You're welcome to join us if you want to. Treat me. <laughs> her mind was blown. It was insane. So we're here. We're here to talk about comic books. Um, and we are talking about one of the classics, the uh, all time greats and probably the one of the few works from alan moore that uh, we all enjoy getting into it we uh, always have here a uh, drinking game to go along with our books and now for sports listen up sports fans prepare yourself and your liver for this week's drinking game remember it's only a game and a dumb one at that so don't take it too seriously and above all else please drink responsibly so we shall start out our drinking game with Mr. Maya. Yeah, so my drinking game is called Life on Mars. Basically, anytime they mention Dr. Manhattan's exile on Mars, take a drink. Oh, do you have a drinking game roll? Um, yeah, mine is, um, I see what you did there. Every time <laughs> in some way or form that there's a smiley face, have it be with the moon and the clouds or the goggles and the reflections, but there's a smiley face in some form in the comic, take a drink. I didn't catch that, and I'm going to have to go back and look at that. It's all over the place. Really? It's, like that, it's like the 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 glass breaking episode of How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Like once you know it, you're gonna go back and like you'll see it everywhere you go. Yes. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, now I'm gonna have to check that out. Um, I'm gonna go with my rule, which I'm calling the "Where in the world is Carmen San Diego?" Uh, every time they mention uh, the missing writer Max Shea, uh, who is the writer for the Black Freighter, uh, they mention him disappearance several times. Take a drink. And uh, Mr. Adam, what is your drinking game rule? Uh, mine is called uh, Extra Extra. Read all about it. Every time there's a news story or like something like at the newsstand or there's a headline or there's a uh, story on the news like on TV, uh, take a drink. So we're going into this. This is now we're, we're, we're past the halfway point. Is there any warnings we should give 
people who are kind of reading along with us as to what they're going to encounter. I mean, you kind of know what's up right now. It's a heavy book. These three issues kind of all have their own sort of vibe. I would say each of them has kind of like, that's kind of what ends up happening. I feel like at about issue three or four, each issue sort of has its own vibe. Um, I don't know if anybody else feels that way or, or not. In my notes, I have issue seven being a very special issue of Blossom or episode of Blossom uh, issue. And then uh, issue eight is the Halloween episode sort of thing. And then issue nine is life on Mars, basically. So each one of them kind of deals with its own little sort of thing that's part of the greater whole. But yeah, still still in line with really good stuff. Um, but yeah, does anybody have any warnings they want to offer people before we uh, let them free to finish or read the next three issues? I don't think any warnings per se. I mean, we're just over the halfway point as you were talking about, and it's a further dive and expansion. The story really starts moving forward in some good ways. Mm-hmm. So, right. yeah. Although I, I guess um, for me, issue seven was a little bit of a slog. So it, but it picks up again and kind of gets mm-hmm. going after that. So if you're you've gotten this far, obviously you're invested. So you, you want to finish it. But for me, seven issue seven's kind of been like the low point of hmm. what we've read so far. And, and seven didn't bother me as much, but I think I, I really got to say, I mean, we kind of did this just out of pure necessity. But I'm really pretty happy with the way we ended up doing this because reading it like three epi- issues a week is really kind of the way to go. I've still really been able to look into everything and really appreciate it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And um, so, sorry, I'm flipping. Through and I'm, I'm starting to see your smiley faces you're talking about. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't notice that one. Oh my god, there's one there. Oh my god, there's one there. Holy shit. Oh yeah. Okay. Wow. Go, go, go look at the last <laughs> panel of issue seven. Uh, last panel of issue seven. Okay. Hold on. This is great audio, by the way, of me it looking. It's fantastic. Audio. If you're listening, also go look at the last panel of issue seven. Issue seven. Yes. Last panel. Issue seven. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I didn't catch it either. That's fascinating. I mean, you catch it at the end of issue nine when they're on Mars, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's, that, that I mean, one. there's that crater they're in. Yes, which is based on a real crater, by the way. So Maya, <laughs> I just got your thing about California. Uh, <laughs> so fucking true. It's not even funny. Um, this is a list of things that Californians are good at: loving California, talking about California, hating the cold taco consumption, judging other states' Mexican food, and dri- diving under the desk. Uh, all true. Yes. Also, uh, describing roads with the in the beginning of it. You're going to take the 101 to the 405. To no, the, you can tell someone's from California by the way they say they're freeways. Well, the funny thing is, so my parents, I started doing it when I came out here because that's how all the directions were given mm-hmm. to me. And so my parents were doing it as well. And someone assumed that they were locals because they were saying that all the time. It was really funny. Your parents can pass. Way to go. Well, yeah, but there's a lot of people who live in California. It's pretty easy to pass as a Californian. But there, and I, I realized recently, I've lived in California longer than any other state other than Utah, which is very strange for me. Um, and like most Californians, I didn't grow up here. I live here now. Yeah. Oh, there, but there's a Saturday Night Live sketch called The Californians, which if you lived here, <laughs> you love dearly. But if you didn't grow up here, it doesn't make any damn sense. But basically, it's like this. It's a, it's like a soap opera, but then they're all trying to get somewhere, and then everyone has their own opinion on the best traffic to get to wherever they're trying to get. <laughs> It's so true. I've had so many of those conversations. It's really funny. Yeah, and I'll talk like Valley Girls and like Surfer Dude Bros, and it's and the sketch. It, yeah, like what, yeah. Mark? <laughs> I called my cat Dude the other day, and I was like, I've lived here for too long. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> um, well, that's the thing I posted on Facebook recently. Was that you know, if you grew up in Southern California, the word Dude does not have a connotation as far as gender. It's like. It's like I've called my cat. My my hair is dude. My car is dude. My cat's dude. When the red light goes, when the person in front of me doesn't change, you know, doesn't drive through the red light, it's like dude. Like it's there's no. There's no well, use it as a curse word, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've, Dude. I, and I don't intend to do it, but it's it's just what happens, man. Uh, I also use man a lot now. I don't know if I did that before I lived out here or not. Todd because can you're test one way or the other. Californicating. Am I Californicating? That's yeah, you're Californicating. I, was, I wish I was doing more Californicating, but that's a totally different issue. Well, um, no, 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 no. The, the top of the list of Californians is talking about California. That's true. Uh, well, and, so, and that's exactly what we're doing right here. There we go. There you go. <laughs> cool. So we're going to let you go off and read this book. And when we come back, we're going to spoil the living shit out of it. If you don't care about it being spoiled, uh, just keep on listening. If you want to keep reading it, which we all recommend you should. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't take a vote this time because we took that like two or three episodes ago. Uh, so anyway... Cool. We will see you when you all come back. Okay, bye-bye. 
Bye-bye. I miss you already. Oh, that's why I'm leaving that in. That's cute. If you have yet to read this week's book and would like to read it now, press pause. Go ahead. We'll wait. Well, cool. Welcome back. Uh, depending <laughs> on if we left in our conversations about podiatry or not. Uh, how are you doing? Good to see you. Glad you glad you came. Aren't you glad you uh, read those three issues? Okay, so we shall dive in to Adam's favorite issue, which I refer to as the very special episode of Blossom. This is where Lori and Dan go all the way. Spoiler alert. It's like that Robin Sparkle song. Yes. Let's go to the mall. Today, or are you talking about sand castles, castles in the sand? sand. Mm-hmm. I'm on the pill yeah, now. Little... In the sand. <laughs> <laughs> Today she goes to Orlando. I do love that episode. Well, I love that sand yeah. castles in the sand is the the song that she walked down the aisle to in the wedding. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I caught that. Oh, and when we're done recording, go go watch the the last or the next to last episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I I haven't watched the last season very often. Like as well, you should not. No, I, I watch until Robin and Barney get engaged, and then I start over. That's, that's <laughs> Although my, my mode. I've said it a million times. There is the, the one episode in the last season that's worth watching. It's <laughs> How Your Mother Almost Met Me. Yeah. It's all the times when she was like literally that across the room. Like, that's like one of the best episodes they ever did. It's yeah. off Netflix now, though, right? Um, it is, it's, it's, Hulu. On, it's on it's Hulu. It's on Hulu. Oh, it's on Hulu? It's on Hulu okay. Because yeah. Fox... Uh, Anything Fox licensed was taken off Netflix because they chose not to relicense it because they went, hey, we have this 30% stake in the streaming service. Why not put our stuff on this one? That does make sense. So that's why I like... It also means now Disney has a 30% stake in the streaming service. Uh, Well, they always... Once it's official, almost. It's not quite official. Well, no, no. They they currently have 30%. They're going to get 60. Yeah. They're going to get another 30%. Yeah. My big question about that is is what happens to um, Simpsons Land once Disney owns it at Universal. I, I think no, that's the biggest X factor, which I think deals will this just is be maintained. Way off topic, but I thought yeah. I had read somewhere that Simpsons was actually exempt from that deal. It, it might be like the Universal Islands of Adventure thing, where it's like on one side of the Mississippi, they're okay or whatever. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, like Simpsons might be exempt from the whole deal. Like that might be one of the few things Fox may be keeping. Like they want to keep the news and the Simpsons, and that's it. Probably. I uh, know yeah. they own it. Oh, Disney, Disney buys Fox now owns X Men, Avatar, The Simpsons, and more. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I saw a different article about a week and a half ago that mm-hmm. said it wasn't. I just, I just, I just popped up. Okay, we'll get back on topic here. Not that we're <laughs> keeping on topic, but we're going to try. Actually, well, we could just start right here. <laughs> we could just start right here. So, who knows how much of this has been left in? Hi, welcome back. I guess maybe uh, if, we, if, we, if we did or did not cut stuff out. We're going to start with issue seven, which is also known to uh, known as a brother of dragons, which would be an awesome reference to the. Um, Oh shit! Winter's coming. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones would be awesome. Game of Thrones reference if it was you know written in a timely manner. So there you go. Um, Banging nephew of dragons. (laughs) Banging nephew of dragons. (laughs) Anyway, so this is this is the very special. I like how in the opening page that uh, basically she goes like light her cigarette and it looks like a crack pipe. (laughs) She loves that thing. Yeah, and then of course she lets up a flamethrower because that's how you light a crack pipe. Obviously. Well, what's hilarious about this? And they're, it's so perfect as they go through, and Dan has designed Archimedes, or Archie, the ship. And it's designed exactly with his brain in mind, but with no thought of anyone else ever trying to use it. Yeah. Because she yeah. says, oh, flame, I wouldn't let my cigarette lets off this blowtorch thing going on. And then later finds out and says, oh, yeah, don't hit the missile button. That's air-to-air missiles. And she's like, air-to-air <laughs> missiles? It's like, I need to give up smoking yeah. because, oh, my God, what did yeah. I almost press? Yeah, for sure. So he's like, yeah, I know what this is. Like, I just made it for me, and it's no issue for me, but other people keep making that mistake. Hmm. And it's such a good little moment of humanity's not quite the right word, but what a great characterization. He doesn't think outside of his own little world very often. Yeah. A lot of the living that I have made in my current job has been translating programmer to actual human operator. <laughs> like, there's been a lot of times where someone has programmed something and said, okay, well, you press this button, this button, and this button, and it works. He said, are you always going to press those three buttons in that order? Yes. Then why not make it one button press that just runs those three things? Well, I guess you could do that. <laughs> But you might have to, like, you wouldn't have to. You're always going to have to press those. Just make it one thing. Okay, that's a valid point. Yeah. So, like, I, 
I've translated that a lot. Um, anyway, not to say I'm the greatest programmer in the world, but I can translate programmer to human. Uh, so this is the episode. Lori and Dan basically hang out a lot. Uh, they talk about what it was like to be a crime fighter, why they got into it, you know, what happened when they left, all sorts of stuff. They end up trying to hook up uh, with the news running in the background. And while the news is running in the background, uh, we learn about uh, the new state of the world now that the Blue Dong is in space. Mm-hmm. The news says a few things. One, that a bunch of apartment be- uh, buildings have been being burned down. Um, they think it's sort of like an arson this conspiracy theory thing. They talk about Max Shea being missing. They talk about um, Russians moving into the Af- Afghanistan border. They talk about a bunch of stuff that way. So also, uh, you, just to flashback a little bit, the article at the end of issue four talks about Max Shea, the writer of the Black Raider comics. And so when they start saying Max Shea is missing, that's how you figure out who that is. Uh, they later kind of go into a little more. Also detail. drink. Also drink Max Shea. Uh, and there's news. So Yes. <laughs> and there's news, and there's news, and there's news, and there's news, and of course, with all this bad news, Dan can't get it up. So they try, and they try, and they try, and they end up just taking a nap. So Dan wakes up in the middle of the night. He goes back down to Archie, uh, the ship that we talked about earlier. They decide, hey, you know what, let's take it out for a spin. So she gets into her costume, hidden under a uh, trench coat, and he gets into his costume, because, you know, if you're going to fly a giant space-looking owl thing, why not dress up like an owl yourself? And probably not do it naked. Yeah, I, they, they might as well, right? Because he's He's strangely naked all the time in this stuff. Sure. Yeah, there's. I mean, if, if there's no blue dong, there's got to be normal dong, I guess. Uh, so. Well, he just woke up, woke up off the couch after they yeah, tried to do it, and there. then just went downstairs. That's true, like you do. I mean, Batman does that all the time, right? Just goes to the Batcave. He does. I bet he does actually. I bet the Batman hangs out in the Batcave nude constantly. Like he gets. I bet Alfred crack, loves he, that. He takes a shower. He goes to <laughs> his computer, and Alfred's like, "Oh, hello, sir. How are you?" Um, I just cleaned that chair. Hello, neighbor. (laughs) Did you wipe properly, sir? (laughs) Now, Master Bruce, I told you not to. I told you not to wear that jockstrap. Welcome to Twitter Books and Firewater Podcast, Alfred. where we discuss Batman's wiping habits. <laughs> and Alfred, give me my bat anal bleach. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's for the bat. Oh. You know, I bleached my asshole and I liked it. No, and I did also really love a lot. They were trying to like get it on, and he wasn't getting it up. Yeah. And you've got Adrian V on the television between news, oh, yeah. doing his like ultra gymnastics. Yeah. I am in peak form, human body. Yeah, and. You've got Dan, and he's drawn. I mean, he's not obese or anything, but he's definitely a content, middle-aged man. Yeah, by all means, and you, she's, yeah, and you're just like, you know, yeah, that's probably more accurate than anyone cares to admit. Probably true. So anyway, so they're out on their joyride, and uh, they end up uh, seeing an apartment building on fire. So they go to save the people. Um, they offer them coffee and tea once they get off the thing. And then, uh, so of course, being a hero again makes Dan rock hard. So they uh, do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. And uh, mm-hmm. that's the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, and then the article at the end of it is all a bunch of stuff about birds, which our friend Jay would love. Because it's a whole article about birds. Dude, Jay, Jay loves fucking golden eagles fucking in the sky or something he just really gets a heart that's true uh, yeah no, I'm good. in the sky and i was like i've had golden eagles in the sky did i miss anything on that issue um why is it called brother to dragons is probably worth bringing up why is it called Brother to Dragons? It's a quote from the Book of Job. Um, it's oh, the okay. last few lines on that last train since. I'm a brother to dragons and a companion to owls. My skin is black upon me and my bones are burned with heat. He's old and kind of inept. And it's happening and his better time of his life has passed. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of reminding him of, hey, maybe it was a good thing when I was younger instead of me just basically being the walking dead and not so many women many ways so yeah gotcha well, something i forget is you know you think of uh laurie as kind of being a young girl but she when the crime busters were together that was in 68 this is almost 20 years later mm-hmm. so she's in like her mid-30s which i always yeah. keep forgetting yeah and then i do the math and i'm like oh yeah no she's a little more age like appropriate for him yeah. yeah yeah so yeah she's more age appropriate for dan than uh, she might be for blue Donald. Yeah, I love that it's now just Blue Dog. That's all his name is. That's fine. So yeah, so issue eight is called Old Ghosts. Um, and it starts out with uh, the original Night Owl, Hollis, talking to the original Silk Spectre, who is, um, what is her first name? It's it's Lori's mom, but I, I don't remember her. Sally Jupiter, that's right. Uh, Sally Jupiter, who is the original Silk Spectre. They're kind of talking about the good old days and kind of touching days. Oh, there's a smiley face. I don't know where there is. It's a, it's a shiny face. Wait, where? So a smiley face drink, because, uh, you know, you spotted Todd's. Uh, oh, thing. Uh, so 
Yeah, dude, that really is an evil drinking game, yeah. by the way. Um, evil. So, Lori and Dan decided to plan out to, to break, break out Kovacs, a.k.a. The, uh, Rorschach. Rorschach. Thank you. Wow. Uh, Rorschach. Sorry, I just got back from a run. My brain's not completely here yet. I left it out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, there's... Uh, Oh, and then Lori's yeah. going to crack fight. And then, so basically, uh, Kovacs, in an earlier issue, which we had read, he ended up getting into a fight in the mess hall and he threw a bunch of like bacon fat or grease or something like that on a guy. And he dies from his prison burns, or from his burns, which basically speeds up their timeline to try to break him out. There basically is a riot and he's probably going to be get, uh, get killed. And there's a bunch of stuff that way. Um, you also do like a little cut to uh, this. New Frontiersman, which is like a newspaper that's been uh, referenced a couple times, and they're publishing an article that's defending uh, the mass superheroes. They also mentioned the missing rider, take a drink. Um, so the Night Owl and the Silk Spectre, they break uh, Rush, uh, Rorschach out of prison um, after he kills a few of his own enemies on the way out. Um, they return home and they find that uh, Dr. Manhattan is there waiting uh, to take Lori to Mars so they can talk. Um, at about the point in time they leave, the police attempt to raid Dan's place. Uh, they don't catch him, but uh, but uh, Dan, aka Night Owl, and Kovacs, aka uh, Rorschach, get out just in time um, as the police are coming to do it. And uh, there's also uh, a crowd that's starting to grow at the newsstand, and they're worried about the threat of nuclear war and the prison break. And they they find out about the prison break, and they decide they're going to go attack not, uh, Night Owl only. They don't get the Dan, they get the original Night Owl, who is Hollis, because he came out and said that's who he was. Um, so they attack him, attack and kill him. And uh, and then you see a little kid at the very end of it, uh, you know, in a ghost uh, costume, come across and find his dead body. And then at the article at the end, it's sort of the New Frontiersman as if they're prepping it, like his missing photos and things like that. Uh, but the New Frontiersman is basically the Breitbart news of the Watchmen universe, uh, for lack of a better explanation. Uh, did I miss anything in that one? No, you're pretty spot on. There's some foreshadowing with uh, Max Shea. Uh, yeah, w- what about that? Uh, I can't say anything because it talks about stuff that happens at the end of the book. So At the end of the book, okay. Are there any details yeah, at, that we should be aware yeah, look of? At, look, at, look, at that, look at that painting. Yeah, the painting that he's doing with that lady. Oh, right. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he's Like the, the weird-looking vagina thing. Yeah, because we do yes. see Max Shane. He seems to be on some sort of island with some person who is uh, doing a painting slash diagram of a sea creature of some kind. You don't actually see creature. You see her design. But they make it sound as if the creature had to be hoisted up. So it, you get the impression it is a significantly large sea creature. And then, of course, issue nine is called The Darkness of Mere Being. Uh, it's Laurie and Dr. Manhattan on Mars. Laurie is trying to convince Dr. Manhattan, uh, a.k.a. Blue Dong, that he should come back and save the Earth. Uh, he's unconvinced. Laurie goes through all of her memories and encounters of, uh, with her mother and the comedian and starts to realize that she was a product of her mother's rape from the comedian and starts to lose her shit. Uh, this ep- this issue actually really oh, no, it was, no, 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 it was no, consensual no. at that point. Yeah, it was. It, they were. She was conceived after the rape, attempted rape, or the attempted rape. Yeah, because he mentioned because when when she they talk about when she meets him at that party when she's like what sixteen or something like that uh-huh. when he's being honored and she goes up to him and says, you know, you tried to you know, this happened that one time. He's like, what, what one time? What do you mean? Like that doesn't make sense because you find out that yes, there was that attempt on her life, but then her mother for whatever reason softened against him and they actually did have a relationship of that was at least sexual in nature. I didn't catch that part of it. That's weird. I wonder why I didn't. I had always assumed there was. Maybe I took her word for it that she said that one time, and I. Lori says, "Damn straight, I do. I mean, what kind of man are you? You have to take. You have to take some woman. You have to force her into having sex, sex against her will." And then he just kind of looks taken aback, and he says, "Only once." Oh, okay. So that's the implication. Okay. Uh, so Lori figures out that she is the actually the daughter of the comedian and starts to lose her shit. Uh, this randomness of this connection of her birth coming from this weird relationship somehow is con- like convinces Dr. Manhattan to change his mind. He decides he's going to go back and save the earth. So at the end, he she ends up, I guess, winning the argument uh, through, you know, deep psychological pain. And the ending article is a bunch of clippings from Lori's mother, uh, Sally Jupiter, as a silk specter. Obviously, I missed some stuff in there. So, what else did I miss? No, no, that was just that was just a lot of. That, this one's a really deep philosophical yeah. issue with, with Doctor. And like we talked about at the very beginning with Doctor Manhattan talking about how he doesn't value human life because it's uh, it, it's exact same as it is alive or dead. Now humans aren't special, and how even though Mars has no life, it's more important what he's doing there, which is building a big tower, than anything on with humanity and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Lots of lots of fun. I, actually, that almost was my drinking game was to whenever Blue Dong waxes philosophical, take a drink. <laughs> but you'd just be shit amber by the time you're done with this episode. Yeah, and it's awesome. Yes, you will. The ending issue as well. 
Well, so what are people's thoughts then? We'll kind of go into there. Issue eight, not episode eight. Issue eight. People know what we mean. I know. They know what we mean. <laughs> and you're breaking out the whole thing is Rorschach is so uh, just one cool cucumber. Mm-hmm. People are coming to kill him. They're breaking it in. And he's just this utterly calm this whole time. And then when he does act, he acts quickly. And you're just watching other people. I mean, he grabs one guy's hands that are through the bars and he basically wraps his fingers up with his shirt. And the the um, big guy with his arms through it gets killed so other people can get to him. And then he um, breaks a shitter to short out the arc welter and kill someone else. And he's just... So he acts quickly and decisively, but besides that, he's just cool and calm and nothing phases him. Mm-hmm. Kind of the definition of no fucks to give. There yeah. is no... And the, yeah, he does give fucks. And even when the Night Owl and Laurie shoves like, dude, we're here to rescue you. He's like, I've got to go to the crapper. Get me a minute. It's like, <laughs> we've been there before. I had to go. When I came out, this person got away. I have the opportunity to take a shit. And never miss out on your opportunity and to see, take a shot. I almost thought it was more like he killed the guy. Like the no, guy he did. In there. Yeah, yeah, he, he did. killed another guy in because there. he comes out covered in blood. Yeah, he comes out covered well, in stuff is flowing from the body. Yeah, like he like drowned him in the toilet. I, yeah. I, I, I didn't think I should take a shit. I thought he just went there to kill Beverly Leslie. So yeah, that, so that's the guy. The guy from the little big, gangster dude. What's like, his name? Uh, his gangster name? Big Top or Big Big Guy or big something? Guy, yeah, but he looks like Beverly Leslie from Will and Grace. Yeah, because <laughs> he's a well, he's a little person. He's a teeny tiny guy, but yeah, but he's just this cool cucumber. He's like, all right, let's go. And then, I mean, at the end of it, Blue Dong shows up and whisks Sally away. She says, well, I think I'm going to go with him. Lori. Sally's the mom. Lori. Sorry. And really, Dan Dreiberg, he's just heartbroken, but he doesn't have time, and he's got to run away. Yeah, the police are coming. He's got to get out the door. He's got to get out the door. He doesn't have time. And where my drink, my drink, by the way, for this would be the Martian Martini. But you've got um, Dr. Manhattan going, the future, the past, the present, it's all occurring at the same time. And there's a fatalism to it. And it's like, nothing we do matters because it's already happened. And I can't change anything because we've already decided. And who cares? And then, yeah, you're watching this. And then he decides, you know what, though? But you happened and the odds of that are next to Zilch, and that's kind of cool, and it's worth looking at. So, I, I like how even when he says, you know, I can't see the future, there's some sort of electromagnetic mm-hmm. magnetic interference probably from nuclear war, and she's like, oh, then you should come save us, and he's like, eh, it's too late. Yeah, like, It's, it's probably from nuclear war, everyone's killed each other, it's not worth it. Yeah. So. And I, I love the, because I mean, growing up, uh, Southern Baptist and then just evangelical Christian in general, there's a very, very big debate about, you know, so if God exists and God knows everything, how do we have free will? Mm-hmm. And I love especially getting about this because that's something that, you know, we've for me growing up, it was a always a Bible class, a big discussion we would have about blow all this and that. And there's there's a way to kind of finagle the way around to say that, oh, God can't know everything, but we still have free will because we don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of a bullshit argument, but that's a, a theological debate for another time, but I still like the idea that if if you had a being that does know everything, how can we have it? And like, it's cool how they play with it. That he's he's talking to her and he's like, "Oh, this now I'm not going to do this." And then he's like, "Oh, I changed my mind." And she's like, "What do you mean you changed your mind? You didn't know that?" He's like, and then they explain everything else. So it's it's really really a fun philosophical discussion that they have. And that's this one actually is one of my everything centered around Doctor Manhattan's always been my favorite part of it because he's such a really unique, interesting character. It's it's Superman on steroids in a sense, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he's very aloof and separate from humanity that he's no longer a part of. He does have some of the best conversations. He really does. I mean, and he really, it's like he's making this transition to becoming one of the watchers in a lot of way with the other things he's, he's observing what happens. Dr. Uatu. Yeah. And Dr. (laughs) Uatu, he knows what's to occur or he thinks he knows what's about to be occurring in the future and whatnot, but he's there still to watch it because he's like, Hey, I want to see this happen because that'd be really cool. And I've never seen it before. And if he's losing his um, grip with humanity, like the end of his relationship with Miss Sally Jupiter, Lori, then he's like, why should I even watch anymore if I don't care about this? I might as well look at this red rock. And she's like, no, but we're still cool. I was like, well, I guess you guys are still cool. Yeah. At and the end Doctor, of that. I was talking to Andrew the other day about this. Dr. Manhattan is probably, of any character in any mm-hmm. medium, the ultimate nihilist. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting because he he might be the ultimate nihilist as far as heroes go. I could see potentially a villain being as nihilistic. Sure. But I'm trying to think of where. 
I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know. Because we can't really say who the villain is yet, so. That's true, too. Or even if that person is indeed a villain. Well, there's, that's, that's an interesting argument as well. Yeah. Which we can discuss when we get to the last, the last uh, next episode. Week. That's next Two week. Two weeks, isn't it? Next no, week. it's next week. We got one more week of Watchmen. Oh, yeah, yeah, because we did 79, yeah, duh. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I guess one thing I, I've thought about about this book, and I kind of want to get other people's opinions of it, from where I first read it to where I'm reading it now, there are different characters that I've actually liked more than I read them before. Like, I think the first time I read it, I thought Laurie was really whiny for some reason, and I thought Rorschach was weird and creepy. And reading it this time around, I actually think Rorschach is more interesting and fun and I think I, I have more sympathy for Laurie. And I was just curious if anybody else had sort of a, having aged on this book and, and reapproached it. And this might be a better question for next week as well. But it's just, it's something that I noticed myself more. Because I guess these last couple issues, this week and last week, they have become more uh, about different characters and things like that. I was just sort of curious if anybody has sort of any change of hearts on their views of different characters having aged on it a little uh, bit yeah like when i first read it uh i kind of gravitated more towards rorschach just because he was more of that even though he's based on the question to me he was more like batman mm-hmm. uh great detective kind of great thing. detective no. kicked ass didn't give a shit but now like i find myself being super interested by dr manhattan and feeling a lot more compassion and kind of Maybe even identifying a little more with Night Owl. I like Night Owl a lot more this time around than I did before. The, the first, the first time I read it, I I, I kind of got bored by the Doctor Manhattan stuff, and the Night Owl stuff. I thought he was almost almost pointless, mm-hmm. but that was also fifteen years ago when I first read the book. But now I, uh, yeah, no, I my the characters that I'm most interested in and kind of gravitate more towards are completely different. Sorry, what I find interesting about Night Owl is, I mean, you find his dad was a banker. He's left with a lot of money. He's really into fantasy. I mean, he had this whole thing with King Arthur. He named his ship Archimedes from the Sword in the Stone story. And it's not like he had any trauma or anything or any drive. It just sounded like a fun thing to do. It's like, oh, other people are doing this, and... The one, the first night owl was retiring, and he says, "Oh, can I take up the mantle?" But then he also quit. Mm-hmm. So he had. It's not like I mean, it was. It filled his time, and he's like, "Oh, the, you know, youth." This is when I was youthful times, and I was trying to go for like, "Oh, this sounds like a good idea to do," but it was really kind of silly and something I did when I was young. And he kind of rediscovers it again. That going, actually, no, this is pretty good stuff but he's not he seems to be the least vested out of all of them as it's going through or reasons have it and yet he held on to everything and he couldn't get rid of it see i think Lori almost seems the least, most least interested because she i mean she's got a costume sale but she, she well i don't know she she's she's kind of the impetus to get him to go out there and do stuff again mm-hmm. but i mean she really just didn't give a shit off. i mean she was there pretty much just to keep blue dong happy i mean she she was there. She was living the life her mother had set out for herself yeah. and vicariously through her daughter. And so, yeah, absolutely. There. Well, hmm. she, she seems to show her love and interest and support by the superhero thing. She she supports and loves her mother, so she takes over her mother's mantle. She um, is, likes Dan and wants him to have, you know, a, a fond uh, experience similar to what he grew up with or what he had been doing. So she dons the costume again and goes out with him as well. The thing I also think is really interesting, and I was, uh, is that they never really seem to refer to it as being a superhero or going out and he- being heroic. They call it adventuring, which I think is very interesting as well. It almost makes it sound more flippant and like they're just doing it for their own fun purposes rather than going out for the greater good. Adventuring sounds like you're playing a D&D campaign. It yeah. does. I mean, you had Dan wake up at three in the morning. He's like, sorry, I had a nightmare. I couldn't sleep. And she's like, well, then let's go out and have an adventure. We're on an adventure, Todd. We're having a good time. Let's do this. Oh, look, there's a fire down there. We can help these people. Yeah, you want some coffee to go along with that? Yeah. Which he has obviously restocked his sugar recently as well. You know what I mean? Which is kind of yes. interesting. Yeah, he did because uh, Rorschach cleaned him out, so he restocked all that. But for someone that was on there, the um, the owl Archimedes was always ready to go. Mm-hmm. So he always had it ready, and he had retired, and he kept telling himself he was retired, but he couldn't let it go. So I find that he's a, a guy conflicted. That's for sure. There's a lot so. of conflicted characters in here, though, too, because Lori's yeah. she never seems to do it for her own purposes. You know, like she's always doing it for somebody else. She's 
she's never to please Manhattan, to please mm, mom. Yeah, to exactly. Please, she's yeah. never really done anything for herself. Right. She did Night Owl for herself. Yeah, she did. <laughs> yeah, she did. <laughs> and she moved pretty quick. She I did. mean, they even make a comment in the comments like she left John Blue Dong, and then within a week she was already hooked up with Night Owl. Mm-hmm. So I mean, she was definitely. I'm not sure if I was watching out for herself, but she didn't know who she was outside of this sphere. So she was just moving to the next logical moment or the next, you know, event or relationship. And, yeah. and you tell obviously the, you know, John, John's leaving was came after they broke up, but that relationship had been falling apart for a, a long time. So oh, yeah. it was to the point where the emotions are no longer invested. So it wasn't that hard to transfer that to a, a new person in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does anybody else have any other major thoughts before we kind of move on to cocktails? Not really a major thought. I was just flipping through and I forgot like one of my favorite scenes in uh, issue nine here is when Lori is first on Mars and Dr. Manhattan forgot to give her air. And he's Uh like, you're here on Mars. Do you like it? And she starts choking. He's like, oh, shit, I should probably let you breathe. Yeah. Yeah. But just the sequence here, I think Dave Gibbons kills it. Yeah, for sure. He really does that bottle of nostalgia perfume. Mm -hmm. And that's such a theme throughout that whole Mm -hmm. thing, just flying through and breaking and crumbling and coincides. I think the most... Which they ended up throwing that into the movie. That's the... Mm. Uh, in the first two minutes when comedians switch through the channels and he hits the he gets the commercial for the nostalgia perfume and it's playing unforgettable and which yeah. it does in here too yeah they throw that in there I think the most impressive part with the storytelling that's lining all up it's which of the three issues is you've got some um, talking over from the black freighter you've got a flashback going on and then the current story and they're all thematically lining up and they're within three frames of each other Mm-hmm. And that is just incredibly difficult to do well and make sense between the different thought bubbles or s- speech bubbles and everything else. I thought it was masterfully done. That was great. So it was one of those quiet executions that was just, once you realize what they were really pulling off, you're like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of fun little subtle surprises throughout this book in a lot of different ways, which is, I think, part of where a lot of the impression, the impressive parts of this comes from. Well, cool. Uh, I'm assuming people have cocktails for this week's episode. Behold, Mr. we finally fulfill the second half of our Mr. title Boone. and make with the fire Mr. water. Yeah, I do. Mine is called the Jailbreak. Okay. And what you do is, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to kind of drink. You take three ounces of Coke, three ounces of uh, Guinness. You mix it together in a glass. And then in a separate glass over crushed ice, you mix in one ounce of Amaretto and one ounce of Jack Daniels or any kind of bourbon you like. You stir that up, and then you pour it into the Coke and Guinness mix. That's interesting. I wonder... See, I'm not a Guinness guy. That I sounds... like Guinness, actually, but I just... I never thought... I like Guinness, and I like Coke, and I'm sort of like... And I like bourbon, and I'm fine with amaretto. I've never thought about combining those three flavors. That's just very interesting. Huh. I'll, I'll go with mine. Uh, I called mine Between the Sheets, because these are the episodes where somebody gets it on. Uh, the other thing I found very interesting is the origin of this cocktail was used, uh, is, is usually credited to a bartender named Harry uh, McEll. I can't pronounce his last name, but he was at uh, Harry's New York Bar in Paris in 1930, and it's a derivative of the sidecar. However... Uh, their competing theories exist that it was also created at the Berkeley in approximately 1921 or in French brothels as an aperitif for consumption by the prostitutes, which is also lovely. Uh, but so it is one ounce of brandy or sometimes it's uh, uh, cognac, uh, one ounce of light or white rum, depending on which recipe you're looking at, and uh, one ounce of triple sec and a half ounce of fresh uh, lemon juice. And then you're going to garnish with a lemon twist. Uh, you put the ingredients together, you shake the shit out of it, uh, you strain it into a glass and you garnish with a lemon twist, but it's a kind of a classic cocktail with a slightly dirty name. Um, Todd, do you have a cocktail for us? Yeah, that's the Martian Martini. It's uh, equal amounts of Midori liqueur and gin. Shake the shit out of it, and you put it in a martini glass. As well. It's pretty simple, but yeah, it's, it's a fruity martini for you. Nice. And if you like gin, it's good for you. I was really sad that I went to, we went to Lucky 13 for brunch. Yeah, and I was going to get a drink there, and they can't make it anymore because Utah has stopped selling slow gin. Oh, really? Yeah. I know they just. I guess the, they just don't sell anymore. What, I guess it wasn't. What drink were you going to? Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was a. Uh, 
it was just one of their it was one of their specialty cocktails they have one uh, of their okay. things yeah, yeah, yeah. and it sounded really really good and I was like I'll do that and I'm like oh we don't have it and I'm like okay so like everything I tried to order today they didn't have but at least you sat down right away right yeah, but it's outside and it was cold. Oh. Like we have a heater. I'm like, yeah, it warms with the left half of my left leg. <laughs> Got your agenda right here. Uh, <laughs> cool. And uh, Mr. Maya, do you have a cocktail for uh, us? Yeah, my mine's called the Martian Sunrise. What you do is you fill a fill a rocks glass to the brim with shaved ice. Uh, add in two ounces of gold tequila. You you take a quarter of a medium sized orange and and juice it and add that squeezed juice in. Add one ounce of berry syrup and then garnish with an orange slice. Fancy. Awesome. Gold Fancy. tequila. I have a tough time with gold tequila. I had a bad experience with Cuervo 1800 gold. Cuervo? Cuervo. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a triangles last night. Is it? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Well, so does anybody else have anything they want to talk about about these issues and or these cocktails and then or we will move on to uh, recommendations? I no, mean, I think, I mean, we, we kind of talked about everything. There's, yeah. it, it was more character development and then yeah. uh, there was some foreshadowing and then discussion of some philosophical discussions. We've kind of, I think we hit all the different topics. So We did. It's interesting how in, we've been reading these in groups of three and there's other themes with it. The uh, Hiroshima Shadows yeah. was all over the place in earlier issues. This one, not really. No, not at all. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, I'm, I might go back and notice now that we go look for him, like oh, like with the smiley faces. But yeah, that was because that, that was my drinking game last time. Yeah, right. I didn't notice them that even once. I don't think so. Yeah, they were hardly. I mean, there were some shadows here or there, but there was no paintings of the Hiroshima shadows. You did see the pale horse band name show up again. You saw that the first episode, issue or two, and then. Well, okay. So here's a question for you: Is yeah. the Hiroshima shadows? Is it a? Um, a pretelling of Lori and uh, Dan eventually hooking up because if we don't see them, because if we see them building up to like you see them first, or Rorschach notices them first when he sees Lori and Dan walking out of a cafe together and he sees the shadows, and uh, and then they, they talk about them a lot as their relationship starts to build. Once they hook up, if we don't see them for the rest of the book, maybe it's just sort of a, a precursor to them, you know, doing that. It could be, but it's there, but yeah, the smiley faces. We're in full speed. I mean, the first half of the book, they were there, but it seems just to be turned up to 11 in these mm-hmm. past few issues. Uh, well, so then let's jump into recommendations. And now it's time for recommendations. That time in the show where the panel tells you all the crap they are currently into, but will forget about as soon as they see something shiny. You're a stamp tramp. How dare you? And what is that? You give your stamp of approval to everything. It's become meaningless. Why can't you be more like your wife? Lily's stamp is gold. I'm reading this book because of her. I'm drinking this beer because she recommended it. I'm even wearing this bra because of a lingerie store Lily told me about. Uh, do they have anything just they're dying to get off their chest? Uh, so we were talking about Superman before we hopped on here, and uh, actually, we're, it went from Gary Frank because uh, we were talking about Doomsday Clock uh, mm-hmm. onto Gary Frank working with Jeff Johns on Superman, and then I forgot because uh, I was looking at my trades uh, in the middle of that, or right before Gary Frank, Eric Powell did a three-issue arc called mm-hmm. uh, Superman: Escape from Bizarro World, and it I is just, trade. it is just awesome. To see Eric Powell draw Bizarro and Superman, and it's it's a fun little three issue story that's uh, pretty rad. Eric Powell is probably most famous for those of you who are aware of the book The Goon. That was uh, Eric Powell's creation. I love that book like a lot. Um, also, one of those few comic books I'd be tempted to get tattooed from is The Goon. Um, I'll jump in. So uh, I have been. Uh, recently obsessed they just added them all onto netflix and i watched them all over the course of the week uh jerry seinfeld's interview show called comedians and cars getting coffee and it's it's a very interesting sort of weird take on a talk show where they just sort of go out and get drinks and you kind of get a more of a uh an interesting view of these comedians kind of hanging out and talking and it doesn't do the thing that really normally annoys me where comedians trying to out make each other laugh it does that a little bit but it's it's more watchable from an audience perspective like i i've listened to the um the Nerdist podcast and whatever they do, like an episode that's just the hosts, it makes me crazy because it's all they just are trying to go like more obscure and more bizarre, and like I just it just annoys me. So like 
maybe the limit is like three comedians I can't do trying to outdo each other but like just two talking to each other seems pretty good you get the uh, so I don't know I just I really enjoyed it I think uh, you know it's worth checking out if you're into comedy and comedians and stuff like that it's, it's definitely very interesting so uh, Adam do you have a recommendation so it, by the time this comes out everyone should have already binge watched it and I'm still a couple episodes in uh, but Altered Carbon on Netflix uh, came out February 2nd so about a week ago and it's it's some really groundbreaking sci-fi. Apparently, there's a book out there. It's based on, but I haven't read it. Uh, but uh-huh. it's it's very much Blade Runner meets Ghost in the Shell meets Elysium, and you kind of mix uh-huh. those three things together, and you get this really crazy, cool, dark, gritty detective story set in the bleak, futuristic world where, yeah, you know, basically people can't people can't die. You've got this disc in the in your top top part of your spinal column. And when you die, they pop the disc out and they put it into a new body, which is called a sleeve. And so you can live on and on. But uh, if you get murdered, the state just puts you in a body for free. It's kind of a law, but you might get a bad body. So like this little girl, she's four years old and dies. She's murdered and she's put in the body of this aging 55-year-old like meth addict and doesn't know what's going on mm-hmm. or what's happening to her. And uh, this, There's these really rich people called meths or Methuselahs because they can basically clone their body and put themselves in so they live the same life over and over and over again and they live up literally in, t- on t- in the clouds much like Elysium and they hire this main guy to uh, solve his murder because what happens is if they destroy the actual disc in your neck that's it you're dead but he's rich enough so that um, someone shot and killed him but every 24 hours a satellite goes over and he digitally uploads his basically his soul essentially to the satellite well the person who came and shot him did it 10 minutes before it would have synced. So he has no idea of, of the last two days of what happened. So this guy's hired to essentially uh, solve his murder. And it's it's really cool. It's really gritty. Uh, it's very violent and naked. So it's all the, all the fun things. Not for kids. Mm-hmm. But it's really some truly groundbreaking sci-fi. And if you like... If you liked, this is what Ghost in the Shell the movie could have been. Uh, instead of a piece of shit. Oh, uh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, but it's it's really really fun. If you like Blade Runner, you'll you'll definitely have a good time with it. Well, and uh, Todd. So I've been going through on audiobooks this time and going through the Dresden Files. Yeah. James Marsters has been the narrator, and he's the same one. And there's what 15, 16 books, some of that. Yeah. And they're great. Um, main character is Harry Dresden. He's a wizard, private eye in Chicago, and it's it's just all good fun. And I really enjoyed them. And I read them a long time ago, and doing the audiobooks again, it's great. So if you're looking for a fun listen or read, the Dresden Files starts out with Stormfront, and it's it's a great time. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, so that'll probably wrap it up for this week. Next week, we are going to finish off Watchmen. Um, also, in the near future, as you're listening to this, we should be hopefully announcing um, our uh, March Madness, see how that all goes, uh, what books we're going to be doing for March Madness. Um, and then following that, we're going to be doing, uh, we're going to jump back into another long run of a book. We're going to read um, a series of uh, Batman books. It's uh, the War Games arc. Um, will be for April, but uh, first we're going to do March Madness and we'll do all sorts of crazy stuff and we're coming back on our 100th episode, which will be very interesting and wild as well. So, uh, anyway, if nobody else has anything else, I think we're going to call that good. Alright, see you later. Going once, going twice. Okay. Mediocre. So <laughs> <laughs> for joining us for this week's episode. This band of knuckleheads will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr as Funny Books and Firewater. And on Twitter as at FirewaterCast. Go to FunnyBooksAndFirewater.com for the most up-to-date information. As well as cocktail recipes from this and past episodes. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, support your local comic shop, tip your bartender well, and stay hydrated.